Welcome to another inspirational message from the chapel. We pray this message encourages and inspires you. If you would like any more information, check out our website, thechapelcollective.com.au. My name's Jason. I'm just going to read to you from the Bible. This is coming from Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 to 25 in the New Living Translation. It says this. This is how Jesus, the Messiah, was born. His mother, Mary, was engaged to be married to Joseph. But before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man and did not want to disgrace her publicly. So he decided to break the engagement quietly. As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded and took Mary as his wife, but he did not have sexual relations with her until her son was born. And Joseph named him Jesus. So um, when I was a kid, I don't know what your memories of Christmas Eve are, but when I was a kid, uh, I used to, we lived on a farm and on Christmas Day, we would wake up, we'd open our presents, we'd go to church on Christmas Day, wearing our new clothes that we got for Christmas And then our family would either go to my real dad's place and his extended family, and full credit, my stepdad would come to that and join us as a family in that environment, and and that was in Cowra. Now, if you're thinking, where's Cowra? Don't worry about it. Just keep going to Melbourne. (laughs) It's not worth it. Um, But uh, it was a great place to grow up. And... um, but yeah, grew up in Cowra and we'd go to church and I'd go to my family in Cowra or we'd head off after church to Grenfell, which was about 40 minutes away. Again, don't worry about it. If you don't know Grenfell, don't worry about it. Um, or we'd drive three and a half hours and we'd go to Mandurin. We'd have lunch and dinner and we'd, we'd stay at my grandparents' place. It would be shared between the three extended families. But what generally happened was that we would always wake up to have Christmas at home. Christmas Eve was always at home. We'd be there, we'd be watching the real carols. Can I get an amen, anybody? The ones in Melbourne, not those folk domain ones. No, thank you. And we'd watch the carols. And then at some, part, some point after that, um, I'd go for a walk out on our farm. It was, you know, there, were no, there was no traffic. It would be pitch black or there'd be the light of the moon, the light of the stars. And I would engage my and activate my imagination thinking about Joseph and Mary walking a dusty road like the one that I was walking along. And I would be thinking about, and because I was a reader and I had an active imagination, I'd embellish all kinds of details about what they might be going through. But I would consider their journey. And as I considered that, it would always stir my emotions and I'd always think about it um, as a teenager. Because I was a teenager as well and, and Mary was just a teenager. And I would think about her and think, Is there anything more vulnerable than a teenage pregnant girl without a home and no place uh, to know where she's going? 
And I would think about Mary and think about Joseph and, and think about what they were going through. And the only more vulnerable thing that I can think about that teenage pregnant girl would be a baby, a helpless baby born amongst filth, amongst excrement, amongst animals and in a place that was dirty and sweaty and there was tears and pain and no happy gas or pethidine or epidural available. And that Joseph had already experienced so much more than he'd signed up for. But surely this took the cake. He'd be like, there are Hebraic midwives for these kind of shenanigans. I don't know what I'm doing here. But he was what had to make do and take place in that place and in the same abode as animals. And I, as I thought about that, I'd think, you know who else is vulnerable? I'm vulnerable. And I don't know about you, but you're actually vulnerable as well. I mean, sure, we're self-made, we've got our side hustle or we got ourselves educated or we pulled ourselves up and we've got the systems of our society that sustain us, whatever it might be. But if this year has taught me anything, it's that this very planned and executed, well-executed life can just be unraveled by the pulling of a single thread, just one thread. But sometimes the unraveling is actually an unfolding And the way that we look at it changes the way we journey through it. You see, Mary's confession right at the start of the news set a course for her. She said, be it unto me, Lord, as you have said. This crazy situation. And she says, Lord, be it unto me, as you have said. That requires an intense kind of trust. But that was a trust that held her in all that was to come. Think about it just from the start. She tells Joseph the most exciting news ever that that has ever happened to her. And Joseph is devastated. He's been doing all the right things. She races in and says, Joseph, Joseph, I'm pregnant. And he's like, say what now? Uh, Who's the father? And Mary's like, oh, no, no, no. No, it's the Holy Spirit. And Joseph's like, okay, so you're a liar, you're a cheat, and you're nuts anybody. And he's like, what is the go? But for Mary, she saved herself for her husband. She could be thinking, are you kidding me? Are you seriously accusing me of of cheating on you? I've been blameless. I've been upright here. And now I've been accused of this. And I don't doubt that there were questions But somehow Mary managed to silence those questions because the Bible doesn't record any screaming, any tantrum throwing, any fights or anything like that because God, she knew, would defend her. And God defended her to her fiancé. She could have yelled, she could have screamed, she could have had temper tantrums, but she trusted God to speak in her defence. And if God didn't or Joseph didn't listen, she trusted that God would take care of her and look after his son. What looked like an unravelling was actually an unfolding. And the way she looked at it changed the way that she journeyed through it. So here's Jesus as a baby born into filth and squalor. And I imagine the angels looking on at this scene. They're used to extolling the Prince of Heaven saying, holy, holy, holy. And now they're looking at Him lying in a manger. There's a picture of a first century manger coming up. This is what Jesus was lying in. We kind of see the straw and the wood and it all looks a bit like a crib. But that's not what Jesus was lying in. The angels could have had been thinking, what on earth is going right now or going on? But they trusted God. And the way that they looked at it changed the way that they journeyed through it. And instead they announced it to the shepherds and, and they wholeheartedly communicated that message. 
When Mary and Joseph got the mission of carrying God, literally for Mary, figuratively for Joseph, he bore the responsibility. I reckon they would have thought it was an upgrade that they're gonna have the king of kings in a palace, that this whole birth is gonna be incredible. But instead it was completely different. That everything would have felt like it was unravelling, but they didn't necessarily see the great and glorious unfolding, but they continued to trust God and the way that they looked at it changed the way that they journeyed through it. In the midst of the confusion and the disorientation, there were these holy moments of visitors coming and worshipping their new baby. Now, don't forget, it got much, much worse. They had to head to Egypt. They were warned that actually the king was mad and he was going to um, kill babies all around them and, and wanted to do away with them, commit genocide. And So they were warned and they went into Egypt. I just want to remind you for a moment that they may have, may have been leaving to the sounds of women grieving their babies. And they were going into Egypt where they heard the stories about leaving that place to the sound of people grieving their firstborn children. This was an intense situation, but they're going into the place that they knew that they had come out of. It was all disorientating, but they just kept trusting God, kept trusting God. Now, there would have been moments of splendour and wonder and they would have worshipped at Jerusalem and seen Jesus grow. But let's not forget that there were moments of opposition as he grew as well. And at some point, Joseph passed. How would Mary have felt then? She's raising the Son of God and no longer has Joseph to support her all the way to Jesus on the cross. I'm a mum. And anytime my kids have been through anything difficult, I've immediately wanted to rescue them and take them out of that situation. I can't even imagine what it would be like seeing my son on a cross. And even from there, falsely accused, caring for me, what would that be like? All security seemed to be constantly stripped away, not just for her as a mum, but also for Jesus. Why would he go to such lengths? Paul wrote of him in Philippians chapter 2, verse 6, though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. The writer of Hebrews, from start to finish, he seeks to lift Jesus up. He talks about him being better than angels. He talks about him being better than Moses and the best high priest that ever lived. But he talks about him like this as he's talking about the high priest. It says in Hebrews chapter 4, So then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all of the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and we'll find grace to help us when we need it most. I'm going to call the team back as I'm just about to finish. But I want to bring this all together. You know, Sarah and Luke just spoke so beautifully about what Jesus did by giving us a seat at the table. But Jesus coming and being born as a baby like he did in that helpless, vulnerable, exposed state means that we can never say, you don't understand what it's like to be growing up in this world. You don't understand what it's like to be me. You don't understand how that works. It says here that He understands our weaknesses for He faced all the same testings that we do. He gets what you're going through. And so as you think about your year that's been and heading into the year that is or even about tomorrow and about all that you might encounter there, I want you to consider that the way that you look at that changes the way that you journey through it. I want you to consider changing the label on what you're going through. 
I was listening to Levi Lasco this week and he said that he can't stand it when people say things like story of my life, you know, like when the bottom drops out of the grocery bag and you're like, story of my life. Daz and I were talking on the way home <clears throat> from port today about when um, people say, oh, I just got to hope for the best. And you're like, I actually feel less hopeful now than when I started talking to you. The way that we look at things really changes the way that we see it. And so as we look at Jesus and I, as a teenager, considering His vulnerable state and the way that He came to earth. But actually, the whole purpose is that I can look at Him and say, He's been through everything that I've been through. He's made a way for me. He's made a path for me. And now that I know that, I know that He is a good shepherd who leads me beside still waters. I know that He's a good shepherd who causes my soul to rest and restores it. That He's gonna lead me through a valley that maybe may be dark, but He's leading me through that valley. He's not asking me to stay there. And that even in the midst of that valley, He says that He'll prepare a table and a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. He says that He'll anoint my head with oil and that my cup runs over. He says that I can stay with Him for all the days of my life and that goodness and mercy will chase me down all my days. I can look at the way that I see Him and what He went through or I can see that He blazed a trail for me and that He's changing the way that I can journey through it. So I want you to think about the story of your life, story of your life. You may think that it's unravelling but I want you to consider, to consider that maybe it's unfolding for you, that the glorious story that God has for you is unfolding, that He says He works all things together for good for those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. And you might say, well, Bron, I'm actually not qualified for that because I wouldn't say that I've ever really loved Him. And so I just want you to consider that tonight. Could you love Him? He says He'll work all things together for good for those who love Him and that are called according to His purpose. And He calls the ones that love Him. He chooses the ones who choose Him. So I wonder tonight if you would consider loving God this Christmas. And as you consider that, I wanna remind you of 1 John chapter 4, verse 9 and 10. It says, God showed how much He loved us by sending His one and only Son into the world so that we might have eternal life through Him. This is real love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as a sacrifice to, to take away our sins. He made you to love you. You exist because He loves you. He so deeply wants to know you and be known by you that He sent His one and only Son so that anything that's driven a wedge between you and God through selfishness, through apathy, through ignorance, through rejection, it can be absolved. Any unravelling that you have experienced can be redeemed to a life that is unfolding in the richness and the goodness and the glory of who He is. And that is what we can consider this Christmas. Hey again, thanks so much for joining us on this podcast. Whether you are new and exploring your faith or a follower of Jesus, there's a next step for you. There is always room to grow, more to be done, destiny to be pursued and people to be reached. So what's your next step? To find out, head over to thechapelcollective.com.au And thanks again for listening.